welcome to Palm Sunday. Today the message is Palm Sunday Realities. I have three realities about Palm Sunday, three observations about Palm Sunday that really will impact your life. Life Lessons from a Donkey Ride is the other uh, title I would give this. Life Lessons from a Donkey Ride. Come on, somebody. That was funny. I don't care what you think. And so, but Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey here, presenting himself to the nation as the Messiah. And so I want to give you the three realities of Palm Sunday. There's a sense of expectancy. There's hundreds of thousands of people that are now swelling into Jerusalem. Uh, they're excited. They're feeling like this Messiah is going to overthrow the Romans. The King of Israel has arrived. And so uh, this is the long-awaited Messiah. So, But they failed to realize that, this, that he would be a suffering king that would one day reign, but there would be a throne uh, that would be preceded by a cross. <coughs> and so the people yearned for this Messiah. So we're going to unpack the story in Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1 through verse 10. So if you're able to stand to your feet, stand to your feet. Uh, we're going to fill God's house with God's word. I'll read the odd verses. I'm asking you to read the even verses. And we'll see if this side will read louder than that side, and if you'll read louder than the tent, okay? So verse 1 says this. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two of them on ahead. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it, and we'll return it soon. And so as they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing? Untying that colt? Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. And Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall endure forever. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we're here, and I thank you that as we sang, you're the author of our salvation. Uh, that you conquered the grave. And so pray for everyone here and everyone watching online that as we open your word, that your truth of Mark's gospel, your word, your scripture, that is alive to our hearts, that you would uh, stir us. Father, uh, I, I pray that uh, uh, we would have a sense of what it was like to be there and feel the atmosphere that was charged with emotion as Jesus presented himself as king. We ask that you would teach us from your word and speak to us. In Jesus' name, and everyone agreed by saying. And so, Palm Sunday realities, life, uh, life lessons from a donkey. We're going to talk a little bit about the donkey this morning here, but I want to say that this is a brief account of an absolutely epic watershed moment here. The day that Jesus Christ is riding into Jerusalem, prophesied by the prophet Zechariah. Jesus is at the end of his journey. This is the last, the beginning, of the last day of the last, the first day of the last week of his life. And Jesus' popularity is off the charts. He just raised Lazarus from the dead. And so we read here in verse 1, it says, Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem. They are, he's looking out over the Mount of Olives. There's a Kidron Valley. Then you can see Jerusalem there. Uh, we will be there this uh, October, by the way, and there's still room to go if you'd like. But it's a beautiful setting there. Jesus loved those uh, small villages. And so it's Passover week. Uh, there is literally like some authors uh, say a couple million people that would be uh, there in Jerusalem. 
And so things are popping, a lot of energy, a lot of excitement and all. And Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, and he's going to use the moment to reveal who he is. And so he's going to go public now on purpose, where his whole ministry, he's really never done what he's about to do, where he's going to declare who he is. He's, he's orchestrating this event before the hundreds of thousands of people that are now there. And he's saying, I am the Messiah. I am the son of David. I am the coming one. I am him. And so in the front of this massive crowd here says this, go into the village over there, Jesus told two of his disciples. And as soon as you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there uh, and no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And today we have the day that everyone has been waiting for. And the text begins with Jesus giving these exacting, explicit directions to his disciples there, really on donkey detail. This is donkey detail here. So Jesus, think about it. He knows exactly where the donkey is located. He knows exactly the city to send them to. He knows the future purpose of the donkey. He tells them exacting detail that it has never been ridden before there. And in Palm Sunday, Jesus knows that he's going to be powered uh, transportation-wise by a donkey. And so sort of like a donkey limo, if you could think of it that way. And he tells them, hey, go fetch me the donkey. And so how did Jesus know then that there was going to be a donkey in another village that he, hadn't, he couldn't see any of it? And he knows also that it's never been ridden. How does he know all that? Well, he knows all that because he's God. And God knows all things. God knows all things about you. He's omniscient. He knows the end from the beginning. You have a death day, a birthday. He knows all of that. So the king who comes is all-knowing. And so he knows every donkey, every colt, every post. Uh, he knows everything that, he, that exists there. Again, he knows the end from the beginning. Uh, he knows all things for all time, the Bible says, unto him in Revelation, who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. At the same time, he lives in the past, the present, the future, knows everything about your past, your present, and your future. He knows everything about you. The divine omniscient one, that's how he can know this. So I just want to say that, hey, this is someone you can put your trust in, you can put your future in, you can lean in, and that you want to follow. So you will see a donkey, he says, that no one has ridden. Riding a donkey is actually a kingly act. It was actually something that King David would do. Following that season of kings there, then they would ride horses if they were going to war. But it was popular to ride a donkey if you were going out for peace purposes. So the donkey then is pointing to Jesus' identity that he is the king. Fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, that says, Behold, your king who comes to you, look up the screen there, riding, sitting on a donkey. So Jesus then is fulfilling that prophecy there. And you would think, well, what's the big deal about the donkey? Well, there was a very big deal there that the king is coming to you, prophesied by Zechariah, coming on the donkey. So Jesus asked then for a donkey because he is presenting himself as their king. And kings rode on donkeys. So kings were considered uh, to be ones who rode on these, these uh, burdens of animals of peace. So he wanted, when you wanted to wage war then, though, you'd ride a horse. And so there's Jesus coming, 
And I want to unpack this a little bit because I think there's more to the story than most of us have grasped. I think sometimes we get used to, oh yeah, Palm Sunday. Yeah, I know Palm Sunday. Been there, done that. Oh yeah, Good Friday. Been there, done that. Easter, been there, done that. If you've been around church. But I think there's some message, some points in here for us that perhaps we've never thought about. So I want you to picture the scene now, two disciples. We don't know who the two disciples were, but we do know that there were a couple disciples that were just arguing about who would be greatest in the kingdom. Some Bible scholars think that it could have been them, but we don't know. But anyway, Jesus then is trying to secure his means of getting to Jerusalem. So when a disciple's there, he sees them and he sends a couple of them uh, to go and get the donkey. And I wonder, I just wonder, we don't really know, but I wonder if the two could have just complained about the assignment. I wonder if some of us in here are bent toward personality-wise that you could complain about that assignment. I'm just, I'm just saying. No one knows who the disciples were when they were assigned the advanced work of donkey detail, but I could hear some people saying, can you believe this? Picture donkeys in your mind there. Uh, we've been demoted to donkeys. I mean, all that we've been doing for the Lord for over three years, we left everything to follow him, and now he's asking us to go fetch some stinking donkeys. You know, can you believe that? How many people know somebody would have that complaint? Maybe somebody in here this morning here. And so... They didn't realize, watch, they didn't realize that they are being instruments of Jesus to fulfill Bible prophecy. And I think that here's the point. The Old Testament prophet prophecy said that Jesus would enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And so when Jesus tells him to go, and Jesus tells us to go, go ye into all the world, you know, uh, uh, through his word, through his spirit, through prayer, through the promptings, you know, to go. And I wonder sometimes if we don't go because we think, oh, the mundane, like the, you know, the donkey detail or whatever that would look like in your own life. I got to fetch whatever for Jesus. You know, like that's a little bit beyond, you know, below me here. And like the first disciples, I think sometimes we may not even understand what's at stake. Do you think they understood what was at stake? No, they had no idea. They had no idea what was at stake. So verse 3 says, if anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. In other words, Jesus is, Jesus is calling himself Lord. Jesus is calling himself God. The Greek word is kurios, which means sovereign one. Who is asking you? Well, the sovereign one, the supreme ruler over all of humanity, is requiring a donkey. So he is still, and I would remind us, he's still the sovereign one. He's still the supreme ruler. I want to ask you a question in light of that, who he is. Do you think that the supreme ruler, the sovereign one, is worthy of you giving your struggles and problems to and coming to him? Do you think it's worthy to submit your, your life to him and surrender your life to him? The supreme one. The, the great one, the everlasting one. And so verse four says, the two disciples left and found the donkey standing in the street tied 
outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, hey, what are you doing untying the colt? And they said what Jesus told them to say, and they they were permitted to take it. And they brought the donkey to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. So a donkey that had never been ridden before, I don't know about you, but uh, if you've ridden like horses or whatever, uh, and they're not well-trained, that can be a pretty wild ride. Uh, I've been thrown off a couple times, ended up in the emergency room a couple times with trained, trained horses. What about untrained? I mean, and these, these beasts are strong. They're, they're very strong. So it's, un, it's un, uh, unridden before, but yet now something supernatural happens where Jesus then is able to sit on it. So they throw their garments on it, sort of a makeshift saddle. They're kind of a blanket to so be a little more comfortable. And then Jesus climbs on the donkey's back and begins to descend then from the uh, Mount of Olives down into the Kidron Valley into Jerusalem. Zechariah said again, Behold, your king coming to you low and riding on a donkey. And so now let's talk about this because uh, securing transportation for Jesus, would you agree with me that that was mundane? Would you just agree with me? Hey, would you guys could, um, hey, could you guys go like across the street? Like there's donkeys uh, across the street. Could you go grab those for me? By the way, like you two, could you grab those and bring those back before church is over today? Would you mind doing that? You'd be like, wow, that was, that's like asking a lot. That's asking a lot of me. And, uh, and really, it is, it's mundane. Not, not only that, it's a non-spectacular job. Would, would you agree with me? It's a non-spectacular job. There's nothing spectacular about that job. Uh, kind of boring, uh, maybe something that you, you really didn't want to do. Would you agree with me that nobody is being inspired in here this morning by the donkey story about go fetching donkeys? Was anybody inspired by that? No, you were not inspired. In the slightest, in the back of the tent, you were not inspired inside here. So it's not an inspiring thought or story of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Yeah, follow Jesus and go fetch some donkeys. You know, it's just not, it's not, it's not an attractive thought there. And so, but think about it, think about it. If it were not for their disciples attending and being willing to do this mundane not spectacular, not exciting task here, going to fetch the donkeys for Jesus, would anybody be singing Hosanna? Think about it. Would anybody be singing Hosanna? The answer is no. No one's singing Hosanna. See, the disciples did as they were told. The disciples did as they were commanded. God's plan was executed. Zechariah 9.9 was fulfilled because they were willing to step out and do it. The Son of God was welcomed in Jerusalem. So all that to say this, don't underestimate the power of doing the mundane in Jesus' name. Don't underestimate the power of doing the absolute mundane in Jesus' name here. If you're a Christ follower, you're the ones that are to go and to fetch donkeys. Jesus put it this way, said, when the Son of God didn't come to to, to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so uh, we don't always connect the dots here, but doing the will of God, think about it, doing the mundane can be doing the will of God. And that's what they were doing. Absolute mundane. I think how often we don't realize, oh, you know what? 
I've got, I've got other things to do. I've got people to meet with. I've got stuff on my plate. I don't have time for the mundane. We start copping an attitude in our minds of, 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 that we don't have time for the mundane. And I just want to remind you that Jesus' followers were doing the behind-the-scenes donkey work that needed to be done so Jesus could make his entry into Jerusalem so that Jesus can enter the capital city in a manner that would reveal who he was and reveal his mission, all centered on the donkey that they provided for him. Now elsewhere, yeah, they get to preach and they get to heal and they cast out demons from troubled people and do all the exciting stuff there that, you know, we, we think about there. But on this Sunday, let's remember that most of the disciples, uh, followers of Jesus, are also called to do mundane tasks. My second point is this, is the king is worthy of doing donkey detail. Can I get an amen? Can I get a witness from somebody in the house, at least a few in the front row? So Jesus is worthy of doing the mundane, like what? Like cleaning up? like setting up, like breaking down, like making oatmeal cook for the homeless at Hope City Church. Just thought of that. Like about 10 days ago or so, when a shut-in woman who had a, uh, who's been shut in for the past couple years, who I visited and who's a, a member of this church, unable to attend because of health reasons, someone was willing to do the mundane task of making a quilt. And 30 women wrote scriptures on the quilt and hand-delivered it to the woman. And I saw her this week, and she was telling me all about it. And I said, hey, could you, could you stop? I didn't, I didn't ask her to tell me anything about it. She was just so enthralled and overwhelmed, and it changed her life. Imagine one person sitting in a room doing this mundane task of, I don't even know how you do it, put all those square things together, and then all the women writing the verses. I said, would you stop? And could you, could you just, could I film you? Could I get my phone out? And she goes, sure, go ahead. So I did, and here's her story right here. I just want to let you know that the quilt touched my heart beyond words. I, I can't even express my gratitude my appreciation and my thanks. I have the quilt right there by me most of the day, and I've been memorizing the scriptures on the quilt, and I've shared the quilt with my in-home health nurses. I've shared it with my sister. I've shared it with friends. I've shared it with a lot of family, and I will continue to share it. I am overwhelmed with joy by the thoughtfulness and care that went into this film. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And so I, I just wonder how many lives would be changed if we embraced the mundane, if we didn't, didn't complain, didn't repent, if we complain about the mundane, doing the mundane, and we embraced doing the mundane uh, for the glory of God. And so continuing here, it says in verse 8, Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread palm branches, leafy branches that uh, had cut in the fields. So who's the crowd? 
Who's the crowd here? The crowd is uh, largely a religious crowd, a crowd that is coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so this is when they celebrated the past history of their deliverance from Egyptian bondage and all. But every year, I want you to see the same thing over and over and over again in the mundane, the routine there. They were tired. It was getting, it was getting old here. And so they're clamoring for something new and something fresh. And so, and now they have Jesus. And so they're shouting and dancing and saying, Hosanna, which means save us, save us now. And so I wanted to see that there's this reality that King Jesus is greater than religion. King Jesus was greater than all the other options that they had and that we have. And now Jesus to them is a breath of fresh air, a, a, a climate, a religious climate where it's stagnant and stale and just full of old religious tradition there. In fact, the Bible says in Mark chapter 12, it says, and the common people, the common people heard him gladly. Another translation reads that they heard him with great delight. And so Jesus to them was more appealing than their hollowed, empty, full of, of, of tradition, religion there. And they found Jesus, someone that was, that was cool and fun and awesome to hang out with and so easy. And so, uh, and so uh, while the religious community was getting agitated with them, they're gravitating toward Jesus. And so, uh, and you, you can imagine how religion emphasizes the outward and the external. Jesus then emphasized the internal. While, people, while religion is putting up barriers, Jesus is tearing down those barriers. And the temple court there had the court of the Gentiles. So there was the Gentiles. That's where we would be. But you couldn't go into the Holy of Holies, really get closer to uh, the presence of God there. You were stuck by a wall. You couldn't pass that in the court of the Gentiles. And now religion says that you have, to, you have to work your way to God. Do this and live, the law commands. But then Jesus says, no, I'm the way to God. Jesus said, I want you, he said, uh, I want you to come to me. So Christianity is spelled done, D-O-N-E, while religion is spelled do, do this, do that, earn your way toward God. So Jesus, the revolutionary there, uh, brought the good news of the gospel that the price had been paid, and everyone, everyone has access to the Almighty. Everyone has access to Jesus. Everyone deserves access to Jesus. So that is, a friend, the good news. So there they are. They're throwing their garments out on the street as if to say, Lord, you can trample over our garments. It was like they were rolling out the red carpet for Jesus to make his grand triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so in reverence, uh, and there was a, a, a frenzy. Uh, uh, they were just going crazy over Jesus. And so, but there's Jesus on again, the donkey. Not only saying he's the king, but he's also saying, hey, I'm not the type of king that you think that I am. I'm not what you expected. I'm a lowly king, a messianic king here. It says in verse 9, Jesus was in the center. So see him there in the center of the procession. And all the people around him, they're shouting. They're going crazy. All eyes are fixed on the Messiah with the song of the people, chanting, Hosanna. And so dancing and singing, they're excited. They're vocal about this. Mob hysteria is taking over, saying, save us, save us now. Save us from the Roman 
legion. Save us from the Roman Empire and their oppression. You're the one that can save us. And so the crowd hails Jesus as the king, recognizing the son of David who came in the name of the Lord, but not recognizing that he was uh, a messianic deliverer, but not like they intended. He was not going to lead the revolt over Rome. Jesus failed to meet their expectations. And in a few days, they would go from Hosanna, save us, to crucify him, crucify him. We're going to talk about that on Friday. And they would reject him, and they would abandon him. And Jesus, then it says, uh, in another passage here, another gospel writer writes in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, that Jesus, as he came closer to, to Jerusalem, and he saw the city, he began to weep. He said, and you didn't recognize it was God who visited you. As he neared the city and he saw Jerusalem, he saw their future. And he's weeping, he's convulsing. It's not just a sad little, you know, get my Kleenex. No, in the original language, I mean, he is, he is weeping as deeply as one can weep. Jesus came to make a triumphal entry into their hearts. He didn't come to establish a kingdom of uh, and, and an army and to conquer nations, but to conquer their hearts and to conquer our hearts with his love. Jesus, the true king of the ages, wants to live forever, making a triumphal entry into our heart of hearts. And so now with the whole city in view, there's the Lord weeping over the city. I wonder if he'd weep over our cities today. And so if we could see our cities the way that Jesus sees our cities. He begins to weep with deep sorrow here. And uh, knowing their future, he's weeping. And I wonder today in closing, I wonder as Jesus sees our lives now, he knows everything. Are we giving him anything that he would weep about? Is there anything, if we could be completely transparent and completely honest, is there anything which Jesus would weep about? Palm Sunday is a celebration that the king is coming. And in light of his coming, is there anything that needs to be changed about our future, about our present? Palm Sunday realities. So and soon we will be celebrating good uh, Easter preceded by Good Friday. And I want you to think about this because on Easter, we're going to give you the opportunity to do something where if you've never done this, you've never received Christ as your Lord, uh, you've taken Jesus as your Savior and said yes to him, we're going to give you the opportunity to stand up uh, with the lights on and our eyes open and for you to say, make a declaration, I believe. I got married like 30 plus years ago. And I said, I do. And those are words that changed my life forever. Changed the trajectory of my life forever. And in one week, people are going to get the opportunity to say two words that could change the trajectory of their life forever. I hope you'll be here when that happens. Father, thank you for the story that the all-knowing King has come. 
Thank you for the behind the scenes kind of mundane donkey detail, which hopefully will speak to us again and again about our own lives. Thank you that you are greater than religion. You are greater than everything, that there is no one like you. I pray that we would know your peace and your presence and your power this Palm Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen.